Our Old Testament reading this morning is from the book of Job, which is one of those books that uh, we don't hear read from much. We know the story. We know that in the season of Lent, it is uh, seemingly quite fitting. But this morning we'll hear uh, a short passage from the 19th chapter of that book, beginning at verse 23 and continuing through verse 27. I invite you to listen for a word from the Lord as it is there written. Oh, that my words were written. Oh, that they were inscribed in a book, that they were engraved on a rock with an iron pen and lead forever. For I know that my Redeemer lives, and he shall stand at last on the earth, and after my skin is destroyed, this I know, that in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold and not another, how my heart yearns within me. Here ends this reading. From God's Holy Word. The New Testament reading this morning is from Paul's letter to the Romans in the 8th chapter, beginning at verse 6 and continuing through verse 11. Again, I invite you to listen for a word from the Lord as it is there written. To set the mind on flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For this reason, the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh. You are in the Spirit, since the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies also through his spirit that dwells in you. Here ends this reading from God's holy word. As we march onward toward the end of Lent, In April, we push ever deeper into this season of retrospection and contrition. We will be confronted in our journey by the realities of sorrow, of suffering, of pain, and even of death. Not the most pleasant of journeys, but it is nonetheless the path which alone leads to new life. For dying and rising are what makes us resurrection people, and that's what we've been ever since that first Easter morning. As those who bear the name of the one who had brought us from death to life, the apostle reminds us of the different way we are called to live out our gratitude. Whereas the world has its collective mind set on the flesh, those who worship the Lord are to set their minds 
on His Holy Spirit. This Spirit is the Spirit of life and of peace. With our minds on His Holy Spirit, we submit to God's law and we are eager to fulfill it that we might, as Jesus, do that which pleases our Heavenly Father, our obedience being an outward manifestation of our inward inclination. By contrast, those who do not serve the Lord submit to the flesh, and while they may be pleasing themselves, they are not necessarily pleasing God. So, Paul says, which camp are you in? It has to be one or the other. Either you're in the spirit or you're in the flesh. Perhaps another way to think of it is in terms of allegiance. So whom do you serve? The flesh, the world, man, or the spirit, the creator of the world and of man? Don't get me wrong. We certainly can serve God as we serve man. And this morning's moment for mission from Samaritan's Purse is a reminder of just that. But simply serving man to serve man is not what God desires. Yes, there have been and there continue to be great humanitarians who have provided extravagantly for those in need. And that is certainly a good thing. But it is not the best thing. This church has been and continues to be linked with a number of ministry partners, organizations which are dedicated to caring for the least of these, meeting such basic needs as food and clothing and shelter. These are all the sorts of things that Jesus advocated for, but he didn't stop there. My attention has recently been brought back to Jesus's encounter with the woman at the well. For one thing, it was the focus of our Sunday school lesson last week. And for another, I had recently watched several episodes of The Chosen, which has been released freely for all to view in episodic format on YouTube. And you guessed it, one of those episodes featured an extended exchange between Jesus and the Samaritan woman. And while keeping true to the words, or a paraphrase thereof, that were spoken between the two, the show takes a bit of dramatic license in rounding out the scene, but not in a sacrilegious way. Anyhow, I was reminded again of the ways in which the woman and, well, honestly, pretty much all of the rest of us humans, then and now as well, missed the deeper meaning of what Jesus was yearning to teach what he wants us to know. And I think much of that is attributable to the fact that our minds are on the things of the flesh more often than they are on the things of the spirit. Here the two of them were in the heat of the day beside this well, and Jesus is asking this woman for water. And then he turns around and claims he has some. Many moons ago, I was on my high school's mock trial team 
and I was assigned the role of a witness for the prosecution in a match with another school. Under withering cross-examination from the defense attorney, I was asked some important question or another that ended with this hostile charge that went something like, well, which was it then? This or that? And by the way, I recall, I, I sensed he smirked a little when he said that to me, and I, I took a brief moment and then slyly replied, well, counselor, it was both. So it is with Jesus. Yes, the conversation did involve water from the well, which Jacob was said to have dug there in Samaria, and to which the woman had come in the middle of the day, when it was most likely nobody else would be around it. And this was the water which she needed to survive until her next trip to the well. And yes, the conversation also involved the water from another well as well. This was the water the woman did not know because she could only see with the eyes of the flesh. Yet this is the very water Jesus tells her and us is necessary for life itself. So you see, the notion of things of this world being of the flesh is more than just their being bad or sinful. For as long as we have life, we are all people of flesh. Jesus himself put on flesh and dwelt among us. One of the great takeaways from Paul's teachings to the Romans is that the things of the Spirit are inherently superior to the things of the flesh. And one of the reasons for this is their permanence. Later in his writing, he'll expand on this notion. But for us this morning, I'm reminded here that our identity does not lie in the things of the flesh, but in the things of the Spirit. These are the ones that count for something, the things that will endure. While we need the flesh to survive, and we need to tend to the basic needs of the flesh, our identity does not and should not reside there. We are to distinguish ourselves from those who do not know the Spirit by showing them what it means to live, not according to the flesh, but the Spirit. What Paul is here writing about, I believe, is more than an exhortation to simply living well and being a good person. It's about living spiritually. That might be a bit of a risky thing to say, given the propensity for people to define and to, to cobble together their own spirituality and this rise that we're seeing in those who identify themselves as being spiritual but not religious. This is not about using your intuition to make decisions and form opinions. Rather, it's about living a life characterized by actively seeking, relying upon, and being obedient to divine wisdom. A wisdom that comes exclusively from the word of the triune God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God who most fully revealed himself to us in the form of Jesus the Christ. This 
is the best life we can live for ourselves, for others, and for our God. The benefits of a life in the Spirit were enumerated by Augustine just a few hundred years after Jesus when he wrote, The peace of body and soul is the well-ordered and harmonious life and health of the living creature. Peace between man and God is the well-ordered obedience of faith to eternal law. And peace between man and man is well-ordered conquered. Domestic peace is the well-ordered conquered between those of the family who rule and those who obey. Civil peace is a similar conquered among its citizens. The peace of the celestial city is the perfectly ordered and harmonious enjoyment of God and of one another in God. A life in the spirit, then, is a life in and of peace. With that as both the goal and the byproduct of such a way of being. By contrast, to set the mind on the flesh leads to disharmony and strife within the person and with others as well as with God. So, Paul contends, for heaven's sake, don't go back to such foolish ways now that you have been enlightened and enlivened by the Spirit of the living God. Though the remainder of Lent will take us to darkness and death, two places the world has and does know a great deal about, we shall not remain there for the one who raised Jesus from the grave to new life has placed that same promise and power within us. And it is because of that we are able and exhorted to live lives with minds and hearts and hands of praise, obedience, and gratitude in service. I think that's what a life in the Spirit is meant to look like. Rather than seeking the temporary, fleeting passions of the flesh, our call is to satisfy the will, not of the self, but of the creator of the self. This was the model and the example which Jesus set for us, and it is the road which would lead him to the cross. But the road does not end at the cross. It is simply a stop along the way, an unavoidable stop, as much as we would prefer to avoid it. But as Dietrich Bonhoeffer himself martyred by the Nazis for his allegiance to Jesus as Lord, once wrote, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. Dying to self is required before rising again in Christ. As our Savior taught, those who love their life lose it. And those who hate their life in this world will keep it for eternity. These are hard teachings in a hard season. But we may think of them as growing pains, just as there is discomfort associated with our biological processes of maturation. So it is too with the spiritual. So my prayer for us all 
is that we trust in the one who makes this growth possible, the one who takes us by the hand and leads us through those places that he has already been and will deliver us safely on the other side of a life lived not for self, but for him. And there, hear his sweet voice saying unto us, well done, my good and faithful servant. And for that, we may truly say, thanks be to God and amen.